Thanks to our sponsor, Walker Digital, who have stepped in to help the Numbers Game podcast with their social media. Walker Digital are a digital marketing agency covering strategy, content, video, implementation, and education. The team at Walker have spread the word of our clients and love working with businesses doing good things helping them to grow and reach more people so they can scale and get larger. I know personally, the first thing I did when growing our business was to outsource social media, blogs, and copywriting because I knew it was something that was not the best use of my time. And the team at Walker Digital smashed it. Sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Find out more at their website, wlkr.digital. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. The conversations are of a general nature and do not qualify as financial or tax advice. We recommend before you make any financial decisions, you consult a licensed professional. Individuals on the podcast may hold positions in the companies discussed. Welcome to episode 29 of The Numbers Game. I'm joined by Nick and Marty on today's episode. We are going to be talking all things Marty, curiosity, resilience, stand-up comedy, all sorts of crazy things, and um, just checking in, boys. How are we going today? You guys are well? I'm going well, thanks, Jace. I'm very edgy here because I don't know what's coming at me. But whatever comes at me, I'll hit it back the best I can. So really looking forward to this. And uh, Nick, how are you going, my friend? Yeah, going well. Going well. Getting very close to being out of lockdown, which is fantastic. Can't wait to go to the pub and have a beer, to be honest. That's all I can think about. (laughs) Beer in a glass. Uh, But also looking forward to today, just diving a little bit deeper into the, the man, the mystery, the myth. Just trying to understand how you just ooze, just ooze charisma and just so natural in the podcast environment. So looking forward to uh, unpacking that a little bit and understanding why. Well, nervously, let's play. Very good. Well, leading into the new format, uh, to, for a bit of a background into it, I actually had the idea that I wanted to know more about you, Marty. And thinking of it from a listener's point of view, I thought, you know, what if somebody were up to episode 50 or episode 100 and people sit there listening to us waffle on and think, well, who is Marty and why should I listen to him? Or who's Jason? Who's Nick? So I thought it'd be important to throw together a couple of episodes where we deep dive into each of the hosts. And Marty, we threw you under the bus. You're the first one that we're going to interview in this short format style. And I thought, why don't you start off, Marty, by telling us a little bit about early life? You know, who was Marty and how did we get to where we are today in a, in a st- summary of the early days? A uh, quick snapshot is I was uh, born in Cambridge Way, Camberfield, out north in uh, in uh, the Bronx, so to speak. Good fun there. Uh, lots of Lebanese kids, uh, people with guns. It was great. <laughs> it was a cesspool of uh, entertainment. And you'd have Vati down the road and play cricket on the street and Tino. And it was, um, it was fun. I didn't know it was as dangerous as it was back then because I was only a kid. Uh, but that was that was my first sort of, uh, understanding of life and then we bought a pivotal point in my life was we purchased a milk bar which is what ethnic people did in the <laughs> 80s it was either a milk bar or a pizza shop they were the two alternatives that transcended into cafes later but uh, and that was a magnificent experience um, you know getting up with dad at 5 30 a.m to go and pick up the pick up the newspapers from the news agency bring it back to the shop and um yeah, I've got really fond memories of helping Dad out. And I've, I've always woken up early in my life, um, I think because of that. Uh, yeah, but pretty much from the age of seven, uh, I was, I was uh, working in the milk bar and sort of learning my business craft at a, at a very young level. So 
that's the early days. And then from, from Pasco Vale, we sold the business. We moved to the Yarra Valley when I was about 15, 14, 15 years of age oh. and got the complete opposite to being in the city, to country living, connecting with nature and reestablishing myself and friendships. And it was a challenge, but a great time of life as well. So, yeah, very shy kid, very, very shy, uh, but introverted, but very strategic, uh, even in my thinking back then when I think back, uh, always creating games, always, you know, creating new concepts and uh, that were, were fun for me. And, um, yeah, so that that's how it started anyway. Yeah, and in Yarra Valley now, wife, kids? Yes, yes, Colleen, my beautiful wife, and she's... Uh, put up with me for many years as a business owner so I I thank her dearly because again that's uh as we know it's a roller coaster ride and she'll absorb some of the stresses I go through over the journey and uh always be the uh, voice of reason and uh keeps me very very centered and Charlie uh he's uh he's eight years old now my son and uh, learnt about legacy and knowing what I'm absolutely working for now uh it's certainly it's a game changer when you have kids and I know it sounds corny but um, it's when, when you go through it yeah. it is it quite dramatically shifts your perspective so uh, yeah he's uh, he's incredible to see a little mini me and mini Cole uh, combined <laughs> very fascinating Marty the milk bar tell us more because uh, I guess working with you for the past two and a half years you you have a I wouldn't say it's an obsession, but you <laughs> definitely have an interest for numbers. Hence, you're on the numbers game, and um, oh, you know, listening to your stories when you come to work. I know you're you're pushing that um, that knowledge on to Charlie, and I think it's really interesting listening to you. I don't have kids yet, but I know that when I do have kids, the stuff that you talk about with Charlie, I'm actually taking that in and thinking that's brilliant. Mm. I'm going to do that stuff. So. Um, with the milk bar, what were the mechanics? What were the things that you were doing that, that taught you, you know, what, what most of us find um, difficult, which is just basic you know, street smarts about money in, money out, making profit? And then what are you doing with Charlie now? Because th- you probably haven't told Jace mm. this or you may have, but I, I think it's awesome some of the stuff you're doing with Charlie. And I think it's really valuable um, that people want to hear about it. I appreciate that. In the milk bar, I was very fortunate. My dad wanted me to help him out. And I'm a carrot and stick type of guy. I need some motivation to, uh, particularly being seven or eight years of age, uh, going to work, right? So dad did something clever. He let me run the bread stand in the milk bar. And whatever profit I made, um, I could keep, which means, you know, mixed lollies, which is probably why I'm a little bit overweight <laughs> at the moment. But, uh, but he, it was really great because... I would buy the, um, I know the tip-top guy would come in and I'd know what the wholesale price of the bread was and I knew what the retail price was and I got to understand that I could keep the bit in the middle. Um, So that's how it started in regards to understanding numbers and the benefit of those numbers at a very early age. And the other thing I started to develop probably at that age as well, well, I know I did, was... uh, customer service so 
I knew that if I went out and helped the tip-top guy bring the bread in, he'd throw me an extra loaf, which means you know, a little bit more money in my pocket. And I also understood that when George across the street was coming in, I knew what the clients wanted before they come in. So I'd have the bread ready on the counter and um, and they would love that. I'd talk to them by name, uh, address them by name, and they'd leave a tip, which of course was mine as well. Mm. So it was like this little empire in this bread stand uh, was was absolutely fascinating. And I really, I really loved it. I think it was the most profitable part of the business. I'll, I'll tell Dad that. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but it was a really great business. One hundred and one, and it was my general interest. And I, I bought up strategy. Like they used to throw out the bread the second day, because back then it just didn't keep well. But the bread was okay to day three or four. So I just discounted it. Ah. Oh. I thought maybe you toasted it and made toasties. <laughs> well, see, see, I wish I had met you earlier, Nick. We, we would have been a powerful combination back then. But maybe, t- maybe toasters just... didn't exist back then, Nick. You got to remember. <laughs> no, just very careful. Fire in a stick and just yeah. hover it over the wood. Don't, yeah, don't just fire bonfire out the back and jump in it. But, but it was. Um, yeah, it was it was like we would not throw out that bread like we usually would because I was going to lose all my margin on it and all my all my wholesale value. So yeah, I just I just sell it uh, for a cheaper price, and there was a market for it. Mm. Like I would be transparent, communicate it, and and look when I'm thinking when I'm talking about it now, I'm going that's probably pretty rare for an eight year old to mm. do. But I learnt that, um, and then at the end of the day, obviously I could calculate everything that I'd made. It was fantastic. I still I still get um, I still get excited thinking about that, and I've done that with Charlie. But the difference, like Dad made me work. He was teaching me work ethic, and you know, putting hours in and getting rewards. So he he was sort of giving me an apprenticeship of of what business was. But with Charlie, what I've tried to do and to to take that to another level is work off his interests. So his general interests, and he got very fascinated about coin collecting. And um, and I noticed this and I thought, well, how can I teach him those principles through something he has genuine, you know, genuine interest in? And that's what we did. So we started to study as to what the actual coin value was. So let's say it's a $2 coin and what it actually was valued as uh, in the coin collector market and gave him an understanding. So if it was worth $10, I would teach him and say, look, that's five times the value of the initial the initial price and the difference you get to keep. Now I'll teach him about taxes and all that later, <laughs> but I'm teaching him the principles of, of that that's, that's the margin without him even really recognizing it. He just has general interest in it. But also what I'm doing is I'm then going, how do we sell that coin effectively in the market? So yes, we could go to eBay, but we're going to lose some costs based on the eBay costs. But there's coin collector groups in Facebook Mm. um, that they will just pay via, you know, electronic exchange that he can keep his margin. So we're actually doing the execution piece. So he gets that feeling of going, oh, that's going in my bank account. And he can see the, uh, he can see the benefit of that. And just to give you an indication, I wanted to tell you something that I thought was really cool that he's doing at the moment. And if you see a $2 poppy coin 2012, please ring me because they're worth 200 bucks, right? 
won't be calling you, mate. I'll be putting it on eBay and send you the link. Oh, come, come on, Nico. Look after Charlie, <laughs> mate. Come on. Twenty times oh, value. Oh, that's right, it's Charlie. Sorry, <laughs> I'm creating. I'm creating a bigger market here for him, so more people want to collect coins, right? But there's there's a new coin that's out that he knows about. Is the Australian Ambulance Service coin just come out? Two dollars, right? And there's only two hundred and fifty thousand minted in Australia, and you can get uncirculated rolls of twenty five of those now he knows this stuff right he's reaching he's he's telling me this stuff so so you could buy 25 of those coins for 100 bucks so about four bucks each but you can already sell those rolls of 25 for 160 dollars in the market as a roll or you could sell those individual coins for ten dollars each so this is the type of thing that he's coming to me with now because he's running with these strategies and I've basically said to him, mate, if you can earn 20000 by the time you're 10 years of age in a year by doing stuff you do, you don't have to go to school, mate. You can pay for whatever you want to learn. I'm, I'm taking it straight out there and looking at it from a whole different perspective. And But the main thing is, is I know I've monetized that concept for him, but it's come out of a genuine interest. And he was fascinated coins in the first place. So to be able to actually make more money out of those coins is just very exciting for him and he can go there's a term called noodling where you actually go to the bank and you get rolls of coins and then you look for the rare ones and then you sell one of them you keep one of them and then you put the rest back so it's um, amazing what I'm learning through it and he and we also talk about currency might be very different in 10 years as well mm. so this coin value now if they strip out physical currency and go to digital purely then these coins could have extra value as well so lots of principles just in that story and you can apply that to anything your kids interested in uh, to give them some valuable lessons and almost you know how people you know have their grandmother's recipe and cooking i mean that's my dna that's my family's dna and it's um, I'm passing that down mm. as a legacy that he can run with and, you know, do better with it than I ever would have. So, yeah, that gives you a little bit of background there. Yeah, it's awesome. Marty, I've, uh, I actually thought this was a joke the first time I met you, so I wanted to bring this up, uh, maybe jumping around a little bit here. Um, and the joke that I thought was was that you were doing stand-up comedy. Now, I understand you're a charismatic guy, you're funny, um, but I didn't actually believe that. Is that true? You're a stand-up comedian at some point in your life. Yes, between the ages of 17 and 24. I was a full-time stand-up and um, I, I, was, I was very fascinated by Robin Williams. Mm. I remember my parents going through a divorce and it was about, I think it was about, I was about 16, 15, 16 years of age and it was brutal for us, absolutely mm. brutal. And um, but I remember seeing Good Morning Vietnam and Robin Williams, and I thought, no matter how hard something is, humor makes things better. Mm. And it was just a real resource for me. And I got very fascinated. I started I started studying Billy Connolly, Robin Williams, Richard Pryor. You know, all all the greats of that time. Eddie Murphy mm. was coming through throughout the eighties. And I thought to myself, you know. I, I was still very introverted at that stage, but I thought, you know, this is a really big test, real challenge. And um, yeah, I did my first gig at the Star and Garda, which is now housing development like everything else in uh, South Melbourne uh, off Nelson Road and 
domain, I think it is. But um, yeah, and, and it was great. First gig I did, not only did no one laugh, no one moved. It was, uh, <laughs> they say it's the worst death you can have <laughs> rather, other than dying. And, it, and it, really, it really is. But I was very fortunate that I had Jim Owen there that night. Oh, wow. He was the main act. You know, Trevor Marmalade, who you would have known about. So they couldn't leave. Um, they had to hang around to see the rest of the acts. It was it was amazing. And they came up to me and they said, look, you're 17. You shouldn't even be in this pub. And no one to have the balls that you had to be mm. here and do what you did. And the way you presented it was good. They said, the content will come. Just don't don't give up. And um, And I never would have got up again if they hadn't have said that at that time and then by the third gig which was uh the botanical and i think it's domain road in south yarra um it's now this i think it's still a pub but eric banner was emceeing that night and eric banner was a great stand-up one of the better stand-up comedy comics i've seen in australia and he was emceeing and i did a gig there and i got a standing ovation and i never forget the exhilaration of that moment it was like my life was absolutely complete that i could share these ideas and and that i got that response from the audience it felt like rock star status but i was, I was really proud of myself because it was like i could have very easily given up so to have that resilience to front up again as a 17 year old mm. um was was something that I, I was more proud that i was able to get back up after taking taking that hit and um, but geez, it was a thrill, absolute thrill. And then I got to being a main compare. I had an agent up tempo, and um, and and it was just fun. I watched Dave Hughes's first gig at the Star and Garda. Dave O'Neill, who's a um, radio celebrity now, and um, it was just a great time of life. All my friends would come. We'd all have a great night out. Everyone would be laughing. Everyone would feel good. And it taught me a lot about being responsive in the moment to because because again not everyone's going to like what you do and that's okay as long as you do and it's um and it gave me again from a resilience point of view i thought this is not about being liked this is about developing my craft mm. and in comedy if you've got 51 percent of the room you generally find that the laughs reverberate and you've won the night so you always try to get to that point and yeah, dealing with hecklers and it's uh you're really in the trenches it's it's an amazing amazing experience really so yeah but for six years that was my life and then i started running stand-up comedy nights uh entrepreneurial of course <laughs> straight to so, business straight to business then i the launch laugh which was the first comedy night in the yarra valley and um yep got six comedians there booked it out uh, 150 people uh drinks across the bar four drinks each 400 drinks something like 600 drinks in the night i don't know what ended up happening but <laughs> it was um it was it was a great night it was the first time my mum saw me perform um yeah which was pretty pretty special at that time so yeah yeah my uh my one regret about your comedy career is there's no video of it <laughs> so i just i'll do goodness. anything to see to see you doing a stand-up gig um <laughs> It's a cool story, and look at at the end of the day, it just explains a lot of things. Like you're obviously good in sales. Um, you've just got a natural charisma, I think. And it, I, I see what you mean. I think getting up in in front of people. I listen to Joe Rogan a lot. He talks about it a mm. lot. Um, how difficult it is, and you know, there's no worse experience than bombing on a stage um, yeah. in a comedy act. So 
I could see how if you if you could do that, there's there's no business environment that would make you nervous. That's right. It's helped me in presentations and and I, I obviously I felt sharper back then because I was younger too. But it certainly alleviated a lot of my fears yeah. to go. I went to the thing that I thought would be the most challenging and that I was interested in, and I could swim. And I thought that was really important for me. As a young man, um, it certainly made me look at risk and reward mm. and strategy in a different way. But also the creativity side, because I was very numbers orientated early, right? But it gave me a different dimension in regards to comedy and how I connect to people. So I, I that that personal side really developed through that time. And I just found it much more easier to engage with people. I just got sick of everyone saying, you know, can you say something funny? And it was like, that's what got to me in the end. drove me nuts. Fast forward to business and um, we've talked a lot about your your history in business and, um, you know, you've you've bought, uh, started and sold businesses and whatnot. But one of the things I want to bring up today, because this is a question um, that I've asked you in the past, I'm not actually sure if I've got the answer, but you've mentioned in the past that you've sold businesses too early. Um, and I remember you saying to me one day that every business that you went into, you had a a target as to what that business was going to do for you, not so much from a sale price point of view, but all right, when this business hits this, that means I can do this and I'm out. And the reason I want to ask you that is because you've brought up a couple of times that you sold too early. And yep. that makes me think that you just stuck to that original plan that that whatever that business was going to do for you personally or for your family, it didn't matter. You pulled the pin. So is that right? And is that what you did going into business or? It's, it's a great question. And I think in the first business, um, I didn't intend to have an exit on that business uh, initially because it was like just exciting to see broking uh, come, into, come into our ecosystem. And I thought this was a real point of difference that it's going to add value to people, and and that's that's that was the original motivation. But early on, I I remember thinking to myself, well, what does this look like in its best form, and what what is the exit? Because uh, you want to know what you're striving for at the end of the day, and this goes outside all the personalities of people within the business and externally. It's more so I'm I'm very sort of project base. I think I'm still carrot and stick from the early days in the milk bar, right? Where I like to know what I'm doing and I like to know where I'm where I'm getting my win. And I think the answer to your question is I got to a point where I thought I was going to be able to buy time personally because we all get so busy in business, but we don't get time back. And I think that was the thing that became important. Now I've talked about this to the wider Innovate team where I go, you know, that the sale of that first business gave me two years just to do whatever I wanted, when I wanted, traveled overseas. Like I had a great time and I was still in my mid-30s and I really enjoyed that. My regret is, um, and you shouldn't regret, I was within my circle of competency. So I go, I knew my win was here and I knew I could manage that win if I was to go to that next phase, and that's why I admire you, Nick, because and and you, Jace, because you're you were able to do that and you were able to delegate. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do that at that time, 
So I wanted to make sure that the win was secured. I made sure the team had a win so they were secure in their employment. And, and it was. It was a win-win situation with the buyer and what we were doing. But when I think back, I go, it's the hardest part is getting to that five-year mark and having a really great profitable business that's fantastic. Like you're, you're getting out in your mind in the peak. And starting again, you lose all momentum. Mm. And that's the, that's the killer where you go, gee, I have to start from scratch again. You go, and you know how big that ride is. So, so I think in, in hindsight, what I would have done, I think, was take – I work in extremes, as you know. But it's like I would have taken maybe four months off, made sure that the right people were in the business to run it, refreshed and then come back with a fresh set of eyes because I could have put on a, uh, a general manager like you did, Nick, you know, and that would have been just as successful and we could have maintained momentum. And, yeah, so – and I thought about that GFC was just coming and you worked through that successfully and I go – but I knew my win because people were throwing away, um, you know, more lucrative amounts of money based on just buying profitability and revenue at that stage. So I knew it was a good time. It certainly gave me – um, some freedoms that I wouldn't have because of it. And hey, country boy, right? Working in a milk bar, you get your win, you're happy, and you do something. Yeah, you, know, you do something else for a while. So it's um, yeah. So I think hope I've answered your question. But in hindsight, I think I should have taken a six month break, mm. recollected myself, and you know put some more infrastructure in to take that next step. But we still say Craig and I, we still say we're glad we took our mm. win mm. because. We worked hard for that win too. Yeah, yeah. that's an interesting <laughs> lesson, Marty. I reckon that's that's a good takeaway for for the audience. Um, people who are tired, over it, emotional, and are looking at potentially selling their business because they they you know they want out, but actually being able to identify, maybe taking a few months off, putting someone in place, and then being coming back to the business refreshed and with a bigger target in mind to go in the future. Because I think you know could have done that better. Yeah, yeah, I could have done that better. Absolutely, and I'll I'll never know that. Mm. Uh, but I go, I feel like that would have taken, I would have just taken it to the next level rather than having to restart and build up again. But it was a different project, the second one, and it was much more expansive, the second business. So it, again, it, it, it fostered my curiosity um, instead of we were just purely mortgage in the first business. And then this second business was fostering my next level of creativity as well you said to me one day this is years back mate in all honesty you said you had i've got the figure of 750 grand in my head yeah so i don't know if you told me that one day but i'm sure you said to me that now nah, i needed one or two or three eggs at 750 and i knew that i yeah. knew what that 650 was gonna, but that it was, was gonna yeah. did you say something like that i just found yeah. that really interesting because there wasn't even didn't matter what the business was. You went, I've got to get to 750. If I do that, then I've got to do it again. And then I'll sell that one, I'll do it again, and then I'm done. So it was something yeah. like that that you said that. Yeah, I, I see it as project base <laughs> where you then can tip in a win and then you, you, know, you obviously go on to another project that sparks your curiosity. But definitely I feel like in hindsight, if a business owner's in that position, you can lose a lot of momentum and you forget how much work it is mm. to start up a business. You just think so. I think that project-based mentality was still probably a little bit immature at that time just purely because of, you know, my, my core competency was okay within that project and I'd hit my target 
within that project. So that was a that was a, a green light to go, okay, now this mm. is the t- I've done what I've done here and I'm happy with what I've done at this point. So it's like a share. You go, how much are you going to ride that share before you think it's going to fall you back? You always, you always cut it a bit shorter than you think. Uh, but then the GFC hit. So that business would not have been as valued as high as it was at that time. Mm. So I, I still think it was a smart decision financially, um, but it's the momentum thing that, mm. that you've really got to put time back into to build up, which um, you sort of look back and go, Oh, it was all there. The platform was there. So, Marty, those those words that I've picked up along with this this episode so far, it's you know resilience, it's momentum, um, brings me to a question. You know, I'd be keen to learn more if there's been a biggest life lesson, whether it's in business or personal, um, something that's changed who you are. You know, your your cloth that you've been cut from. You know, today. It's a great question because I think for me, I'm first and foremost a survivalist, and I think that's come from not having a lot of money. Mm. We always had food and a house, you know, roof over our head and everything. But I'm sure when when I think about banking in those wins, it's to make sure I'm okay and my family's okay. I think there's still a driver, you know, that, that comes out of that. But I've I've formulated a different perspective on that, that, you know, everything's gonna be okay. And your worst case scenario is not what the six-year-old child thinks or the eight-year-old child thinks. So I've always sort of made sure that, um, you know, I haven't felt like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to end up. Because I I always remember conversations of going, you know, know, Santa's a bit light on this Christmas. Mm. I hated that. Like I hated that with a passion that our Santa wasn't going to give me as much presence as bloody Voti up the road, <laughs> the, the Greek the Greek god, you know. So it was like, but that really got to me. And, and, and we were always okay, don't get me wrong, but that was the story. And I don't know whether that story was sold to me in order to just work harder um, or whether that was dad's story because he didn't have anything coming from Croatia into Australia. So it was a real survivalist mentality. And my perspective has shifted on that in regards to really – like, how do I do the things I enjoy and how do I be holistic in what I do and go, I don't have to have that panic. Mm. And I feel like some of that strategy in the early days certainly came out of, you know, not not the greatest of places. I think it came from a bit of a pain point. But in saying that, my tenacity and competitiveness, mm. I mean, you asked my tennis coach, <laughs> he just, he goes, you didn't have as much talent as the other kids. You couldn't afford the coaching. But boy, oh boy, like my competitive streak was enormous because I thought I used to see the kids with their mums there and holding their nice tennis bags. And mate, I'm out there with my McEnroe racket, this wood piece of shit, <laughs> and I'm going, but I'm not losing. You know, I am not losing this game. I'll, I'll hit 20,000 balls against that mm. wall in order to beat that person. So I never had that technical skill. But geez, my competitiveness was really strong. And if I was behind, I was more dangerous than when I was in front. Like when I was in front, you could catch up to me because I'd relax a bit. <laughs> if I was behind, boy, oh boy, you know, look out. I will fight, scratch, do anything to get. And, and that, again, that, that got better as I got older. It became more strategic. Mm. But I still hold that edge. Like I still, mm. I look at other mortgage broking firms now and I still go, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to get over the top mm. of them on a on a survival level. 
But then there's a lot more intelligence in regards to going, well, there's a bigger picture here and we're building something very sustainable. And yeah. uh, But I like the edge. I actually like the edge because it just there's a little driver in it that's unique to me and I, I actually quite enjoy that in myself. Yeah, so, and I, I can definitely say that I can see that working with you and it, um, I guess this leads me to another question because you know, Jason mentioned your biggest lesson uh, well, one of the things that you went and did for a couple of years was um, was mentor small businesses. Um, yeah. And if we're, if we're going down the path of lessons for anyone that's listening who's a small business owner, what's if you could pick out one mistake that you saw most small businesses make repetitively uh, that had a big impact, um, what would you say that is? Um, yeah. And how, you know, how can you rectify it? Yeah, good question. Self-accountability of the business owner mm. every time. It's so many people got great ideas, Nick, like, and you just bin them because nothing happens. The execution mm. piece and the self-accountability to the execution, there's no, there's no roadmap to get to a result. And um, I've, I've actually found, maybe this is just purely because I'm, I've always played sports, but I've always enjoyed sporting people that have been business owners because they have that competitive edge they have strategy and and that's you know probably a limited viewpoint mm. but that was the big thing i remember being in the u.s in 2008 and i was an accountability mentor um to small business owners throughout europe and and the u.s and it was um it was an eye-opener in regards to i can't tell you how many great ideas just wafted off into space mm. and and i would bring them back and i'd said i would say okay that's a fantastic idea what's your first step what's your commitment mm. to the first step and what's your plan like i get it you're not going to eat the whole elephant at once but what's the stepped out process that you're going to do to get to that result and what are you going to be accountable to in your actions to get to this first point mm, that's great Oh, but why are you putting pressure on? No, I'm not putting pressure on you. Uh, you've made a commitment to yourself that this is what you want. You know, there's work and effort that's required in order to get there. And are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? But my, I can't tell you um, how often people had the grand idea and were not willing to put in the grit mm. and determination and the intelligence in actually taking the actions towards executing. Time and time again, mate. No, I like that a lot. We've we've recently started working with a business coach or mentor ourselves and, and just hearing you talk like that, I'm going, yeah, you know, we we had so many ideas and so many things we wanted to do that nothing was getting done. So it became about focus. Like what's the most important thing you should be working on right now and what's the step? What's the next step you're going to take to move towards achieving that result, that one thing that you can focus on? Then we can work on the next important things. No, I love it, Marty. That's that's massive. Yeah, and a lot of it's my a lot of it's attitudinal. It really mm. is because ultimately what I found is two sets of people in life um and I've simplified this for my own knowledge, but I go, you look at the people that are given a set of circumstances and we'll find everything wrong with that. And then you'll get another suite of people, suite of people that will look at that, those, those circumstances and make the best out of it and, and actually build upon it. And I really love those people because they energize um, me as well. And then you get a collaborative effect that really works well. But the ones that actually make a problem out of everything i go it's a really and look don't get me wrong everyone likes to flap their wings and have a have a whinge occasionally but if it's consistent 
and you just go, my goodness, it doesn't matter what happens, the glass is legitimately half, uh, you know, half empty. Well, Marty, Milk Bar, stand-up comedy, finance, coach, podcast, uh, co-host and host of your own podcast. What's future Marty? You know, what, what's Marty working towards in the future? What is the next steps? What have you got going on? And, you know, what's that kind of grander plan that you've kind of got pinned on the wall at home? What does it all look like? Yeah, well, business-wise, and, and Nick and I are buying in on this, by 2025, we want to be the best independent brokerage firm within Australia. We've got some big plans, and um, and that's really exciting. And I think my goal is to impact the lives of the people I work with. Yeah. They might think I'm doing finance, but really what I'm doing is developing human beings to take their next steps in life and really make themselves accountable and you know see results that they wouldn't have expected in themselves. Yeah. So to me, I, I, I take great... It's, it's a great privilege to me to work with Innovate because it is a youthful company. Uh, but in saying that, we've got mature people that have come in. Well, I say mature, that's a terrible <laughs> word. But let's say, let's say old people like me. That, that's much more uh, palatable. But, uh, but, but in career best form. Yep. And I love that, that we can produce something in, in the market that the market hasn't seen. And that, to me, is what fosters my curiosity and to be a part of that. And for my deficiencies, I have people like Nick and Jordan and Caden and and many people within the team too that I learn from that actually you know fill those gaps for me where where I'm not as strong in. But then coming together, I'm seeing that 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 flywheel effect of that, and that gives me. Um, an additional level of courage and it also gives me an additional level of safety and takes away those fears of being able to you know take a business to a next level because i have you know some some great people around me so from a business level that's something i'm looking forward to seeing people enjoy that success as we keep um evolving and improving into it um from a from a personal level it's um Certainly, I want to live to 100, and I'm starting to work on a strategy. I've got to drop a few kilos. <laughs> Hello, Colleen, if you're listening. Uh, but, but yeah, look, I want to take everything I've, I've learned in my 49 years to have the best 50th year I, I can have. Mm. That's, my, that's the way I view life immediately. And I want to be in a position where I can really foster my curiosities into the future. I don't think, and it's, and it's hard to call goals for the future, but for me, it's like I will always be doing something of interest no mm. matter where I am. Um, and that's, you know, for a goal, that's my main goal, to live to 100, be a great ambassador to Charlie. I see that as my, my legacy mm. of going, he's not going to listen to what I say, he's going to watch what I do. Mm. So, yeah. you know, I've... I've, I've and that's really when you have kids, you'll see that they uh, you could say what you want, but they'll do what you do. Mm. And it's um, and so I'm playing chess with him, like like my granddad played with me, mm, Monopoly. Great. I'm inducing, you know, I'm introducing other games, playing footy, doing all the you know sporty stuff too. And it's um, I j- I just want to keep being excited about life, boys. I, mm. I just think if it gets dull and boring, and I feel like there's no impact, then what am I mm. doing? 
It's like waiting to get old to have sex, right? <laughs> yeah. I want to have sex every day. <laughs> in a business sense. Are we, you still, know, now. are we still shouting out to Colleen? Or I hope she doesn't hear this part. Colleen, if you're listening, <laughs> get Charlie out of that bed. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, that's so awesome. that's, that's really it. It's, it's, it's more immediate with a longer term plan of live along. <laughs> Well, so I hope I've answered that. You right. did, mate. Yeah, I, I think we should probably wrap it up there. I think that was um, that was a good last question, Jace. It was awesome. Thank, thank goodness have you done, you've got enough, Marty. Good. Can wrap it up, boys. If you want to know more about Marty, hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au or reach out directly to Marty Vitakovic, Vitakovic, Marty V's, all different names. That's Vitakovic. My key takeaway from our chat today with Marty. Um, resilience and momentum were the words that, that went through, but then also tenacity. If you want something, you got to work for it and work hard for it and go for it. And that's the thing with that tennis coach story of you might not have had the expensive tennis coach, but you worked hard, Marty, and you kept on going. So that's my key takeaway today. What about you, Nick? Uh, mine is, uh, and this is something that we try and do as a business and Marty's got a lot to do with this, but it's just build the people around you. And if you build the people around you, um, then you'll generally be able to achieve what you're trying to achieve. And you know, if I'm going to pick the one quality out of Marty that comes straight to mind, mm. um, and I'm just talking about business now, but it goes beyond that, is just being able to get the most out of people for whatever reason. So, yeah, that's that's for me as a business owner, it just solidifies, you know, just keep building your people, um, make sure your people are going to new levels, and then generally you will as well. So that's probably my take key takeaway yeah we we all win across the board everyone wins it's uh, it's always i've always had a win-win mentality unless i'm competing against someone but uh, cool. and, I, and i've never seen i've never seen um more reward with less effort mm-hmm. in regards to something so you really gotta you gotta put that effort in so yeah hope you got something out of it today thanks for listening thank you game over